Welcome to the Expat Rewind Podcast, where we take a book from an expat OGOPAT's first year in a country and see how it helped them adjust to the new culture. The Expat Rewind Podcast is part of the greater Expat Rewind PodTube experience that is part podcast and part YouTube channel. In this podcast episode, we are very pleased to have Evo Terra, prolific podcaster and so much more. Evo has selected to talk about the book working with the Thais to explain some of the culture shock that he encountered when working in Thailand. I learned about Evo first on the Bangkok podcast where he was co-host in season two with Greg Jorgensen. However, Evo's history in podcasting goes much further back. In fact, his podcast was the 40th podcast of all time. And it was, funny enough, a book podcast where they interviewed sci-fi authors. I do have links in the show notes from and about Evo so please feel free to dig in to learn some more. For those of you who are podcasters, Evo did a fantastic presentation for International Podcast Day a few years ago, where he went through his podcast workflow when he was on the Bangkok podcast. And the examples, the workflow, the spreadsheet joy that he shows in this presentation is just top-notch and extremely, extremely useful. Over on the YouTube companion video, I go further into the concept of saving face. This is something that every expat that comes to Northeast Asia is told is very unique to the region. Evo and I ponder this a bit in the podcast, and I wanted to go more into depth on my experience with it and more so my questions with it. 15 years in Asia, and I really, really can't put into words the difference between saving face in Asia versus getting embarrassed or losing face in the West. And of course, when I can't figure things out, I look online to other content creators and I reach out to Asian Boss, a wonderful YouTube channel that interviews people on the street and ask them questions about things like this. If you have any questions, comments, or any feedback on this episode with Evo Terra, please do feel free to contact me on any social media platform. My handle's the same everywhere, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O. That is also my Gmail address. Let's get to Evo now. Thank you so much, Evo, for joining us at Expat Rewind. Hey, you are welcome. Thanks for joining me. Um, I apologize in advance if I do things like, or because I've got this nasty cold uh, that just hit me like a ton of bricks the last four hours. But you know what? Luckily, I'm here with Western medicine in America. I'm kidding. Are you? Because my husband, we just had a shipment of like Theraflu that we <laughs> shipped with a bunch of clothing and shoes and things from the U.S. to here. There are many things in China and in Asia in general that I prefer over the U.S. stuff, but cold uh-huh. medicine is not one of them. Yeah, I mean, well, cold medicine is mostly bogus anyhow, right? There's not a lot it can do. It really treats just the symptoms. And I didn't find very good cold medicine when I was living in Thailand for the two yeah. and a half years I was there. I didn't find very good cold medicine when I was touring Europe and Australia. We yeah. do have pretty good cold medicine uh, here in America. Actual yeah. medical care, way better in Bangkok than it was oh. here. And, and a lot of other places too. Exactly. Yeah, they will, they will knock you out for a cold, but if there's anything serious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm getting on a plane and flying back to Bangkok if there's something serious. <laughs> exactly. So let's start with your geographical trajectory. Where have you lived outside of the U.S.? Where have I lived? I guess it depends on your definition of the word lived. Can I just do a quick rundown of my my travels from 2015 on? I think that might help clarify some things. Okay. Sure. So in 2015, my wife and I had a shared midlife crisis. And so on, I think, January the 16th of 2015, she and I had already sold everything that we owned, Mm -hmm. and we jumped on an airplane 
with uh, two bags and mm-hmm. two guitars, dumbly enough, and with a one-way ticket to France. And no plan after that. Not kidding. Really did it. And then, yeah, it was, that was a lot of fun. And what, the way we did 2015 is we were house-sitting mm-hmm. for people. And so from there, we got to get, it was a three-month and a little farmhouse in the uh, Brittany area of France. Then we did three weeks uh, just outside of Copenhagen, mm-hmm. spent six weeks at two different spots uh, in the UK, little towns no one's ever heard of. And then about six weeks in Spain, which was quite lovely, four months in Thailand, trips to other places in there, wound up going to Vietnam and Hong Kong for house sits, uh, and then Australia for about two months at the end of 2015. And when we were done, we realized we, while, while the money was out, <laughs> which was the plan, which was the plan all along, we were out of cash, but we knew we didn't want to move back to America. Mm-hmm. And so we, we went to Bangkok, like, the, like on the 30th of January or of December 2015, mm-hmm. so literally from 2016 on. And it wasn't but a matter of days that my lovely bride, Sheila D, uh, was scooped up by the international school system because she has two decades of, of teaching experience and a master's degree in, in curriculum design. And two and a half years later, she was the principal of a private school just outside of Bangkok. Wow. Uh, two and a half years doing that. So, uh, yeah. So, how many places have we lived? I mean, places I played and paid rent other than America was Thailand. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And that from France through all of those places that you just mentioned, that was one yeah. year experience? One year. Yeah, one yeah. Year. Just about and then year. after the year, if I understand correctly, then you were in Bangkok for... Did you say two and a half or three years? About, well, yeah, we, we moved there at the beginning of 2016. And then we were there all the way until we moved back to America in April of 2018. So okay. I'm up on my one year and close to my one year anniversary back in America. Oh, happy reverse culture shock. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it has been a weird year of that without a doubt. Oh, I bet. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> the book that you've selected for today's conversation is based on when you were in Bangkok, right? Yeah. Okay. That was a fun year of being uh, semi-retired, but let's get jobs. And mm-hmm. like I said, my wife got a job right away. I really struggled to find a job mm-hmm. job because most of my my career at the time, I had worked in advertising and marketing mm-hmm. and had been really focused on the startup space uh, for the two years prior to our trip. And as much touring as I was doing and meeting with people and, and having conversations, I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I think I wasn't getting anything out of it is because I'm, I'm a pretty powerful personality. It kind of shines through in everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine delivered for the longest time, he said, you're not getting hired because you are the classic American. And no one in Thailand wants to work with the classic American. So he recommended to me that I buy a book called Working with the Thais. And it was eye-opening. First off, it's, it's not really an incredibly well-written book. <laughs> and I think it's from like the 80s or 90s when it was written. But it was eye-opening in the, the vast cultural differences. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I knew there was differences between America and Thailand. I'm not, I'm not that dumb. Sure, but sure. what you don't get by visiting a place mm-hmm. that you only get when you actually work in a place is the understanding of how those cultural massive changes are, are vastly different. So right. I read the book, shared it with my wife, and we would just, you know, tell stories. She's, she's telling me stories of, of her Thai staff versus her, her, her American or Canadian or some other English-speaking uh, staff. Right. I, went, I went up teaching as well. 
uh, adult education center, like teaching web skills and that, and that kind of stuff. And okay. it was very invaluable just working with the, the schedulers and the people that work there at the school I was teaching at, as well as the students, mm-hmm. as well as the students that I was teaching, you know, just understanding the weirdly different relationship that mm-hmm. high students who are adults have with their teachers. That just simply doesn't exist uh, in the 48 years that I had been on the planet at the time. Um, do you happen to have the book anywhere near you? I don't have it near me. Okay. I, no I, left it, I left it in Thailand because I gave it to other people. It's, it's gifting well, it from that's, yeah. that's what ha- should happen with books. So that makes complete sense. <laughs> right. Like how big would you say it is? Like how many pages is it? Small book? Oh, it's probably maybe 30, 40,000 words. It's half size. I mean, it is a, oh. it's a trade paperback, not, not a big book, but it's a lot of, it's dense information. You know, right. they, they, they weren't very flowery in mm-hmm. the author who wrote the book and I've already forgotten the name was, wasn't using a lot of prose and a lot of that, but, but there's a lot of examples a lot of what I hope are fictional examples of exchanges that would happen between Western managers oh. and, and Thai staff. And, and the reverse of that, true. A, a, a Western subordinate working with a Thai upper management. Uh, just, just so fascinating and, and kind of scary. Can you think of any specific examples of situations that were described in there that you thought were too different to really exist? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that that I, I just wasn't buying it when I was reading it because this, this can't be true. Something in the book was talking about the fact that Thai people, when they are working with anybody else in, the, uh, in, in an organization, they do things at a different pace and they do things very much by the book. Thailand is, a, even though they break a lot of rules in Thailand, when it comes to business, they, they follow the book and they follow the order and they also do things on their own time mm-hmm. and like Thai time. They do it the way it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Of course, here in America, the way that you, you know, motivate your employees to get stuff done quicker is, you know, you impress upon that and how urgent it is. And then when that's not getting through, then you, you kind of raise your voice and you think, no, we have to get this done. I'm staying late. You're staying late. So Thailand is known as the land of smile. That's its common name. And the reason they, that is that it's not because everybody in Thailand is very, very friendly. It's because they smile in the most inappropriate spots. The way that they show, their, their smiles mean different things to different people in Thailand. So when you're stressing someone out, someone who works for you, by shouting at them, they will smile at you. It, you almost get a little incensed by that. Like, this is not a time. I'm, I'm very upset right now. This is not a time to be happy and smiling. You think I'm joking about this? So that was part one of the thing. You know, watch out for when, when someone starts smiling in an inappropriate situation. It means that you, the Westerner, don't understand what particular type of smile that is. That was number one. And the second thing is if you continue to push and you continue to pressure, they, they will do the exact opposite. They will tell you, you bet. I will get that done right away, boss, and then not even think about doing it. Put it down even further on their priority list. It actually works. It works against you to try and push them to go faster. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe it when I read it. I thought that can't be true, but I've experienced it. It is very, very true. Do you remember the first time you experienced it and had that realization? that? Yeah, I was working with the scheduler at the school that I was working with, and she just wasn't getting it. You know, the, the types of classes I was teaching were, 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 were different than anything else that the school was doing. And she's continuing to, to, to put things on that are in, in the, wrong, the wrong spot. I mean, it, it's, it's times when I've already said I can't do it then. That was, that was one challenge. And so I, I mean, several times I told her, no, that, that time is, is not the right spot for me. These are the times I can work. So again, let's do it this way. And I actually went into the office because she just wasn't getting it, you know, and, and I guess I'll use the word got in her face and I, and I feel bad about it now, 
but I totally kind of got in her face. But no, what, what part of not any time from two to four didn't you understand? That, that's mm-hmm. not, I can't do that. And I got that smile that they talked about. Mm-hmm. But luckily I'd read the book and I went, oh, this is that. This is that smile they talked about. But the damage had been done. And then for the next like six weeks, the only thing I got were appointments at that two to four o'clock spot that I, that I totally said, <laughs> I do not want. I'll get you, I guess oh, you said. Oh my gosh, right. yeah. Yeah, so it took a lot of... Uh, a lot of time to dig out of that hole. You know, I, I came with my hat in my hand and I said, look, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't realize, you know, uh, the cultural difference and I get it. You know, did a lot of, a lot of whys, a lot of my pan eyes um, and just, you know, slowly got her back onto my side, being, being very pleasant, you know, never questioning anything. And uh, mm-hmm. it got better. I mean, the good news is um, she didn't hold the grudge for too terribly long uh, and uh, the, the, the damage wasn't irreparable. It's so funny that you bring this up as the first example. Um, The first place I worked in in Asia was over in Taiwan, which everybody thought I was saying Thailand in the U.S. because our geography sucks in general. And I was like, no, no, Taiwan, Taiwan, it's near China. Anyway, so (laughs) so yeah, and I had a similar experience with the smiles, only a slightly different reason. Like my students and my coworker, my local students and my local coworkers would smile when they were embarrassed. And so if I was trying to somewhat discipline a child or a teenager, they would smile at me. And I thought they were being a cheeky teenager, but in fact, they were just embarrassed and they were losing face. And it just kind of escalated a little bit at first until I figured out what was going on. And then I stopped embarrassing myself by (laughs) acting that way. But it was, it was such a knee jerk reaction of why are you smiling in this inappropriate moment? Oh, wait, this Mm. isn't inappropriate for you. This isn't yeah. for me. I'm the foreigner here <laughs> in this culture. I heard about saving face. I mm-hmm. watched enough movies to know that that's what people <laughs> from Asia have this kind of a saving face. I didn't really understand what it was. But yeah, it only takes a few examples, mm-hmm. first person examples like that to where yeah. you get it. You okay. totally get it. And then it makes foreign relations totally understandable now. Now that you get where this whole <laughs> idea comes from. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and we do have saving face in the West. It's just not. I don't know. I don't even, I, even after like 15 years, I couldn't tell you the difference. It just feels slightly different, but it does exist. We do embarrass people. We do annoy people. We do all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We, we certainly do, but I don't think to that level. And mm-hmm. when, when, when you get embarrassed or I get embarrassed in a situation that, you know, it, a, it's probably our fault, but nonetheless, let's say that it's not, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody's just being over the top and screaming at us for no reason. We're embarrassed. They're embarrassed by it. Everybody else just kind of goes about their way, you know, and, and deals with it and come back later and say, sorry, I had to deal with that jerk, you know, or whatever that the case will be. But what I have found, and, and I don't know if it works that way everywhere, but th- it's, it's the damage you're doing to the people around that person. It's like they have lost face yeah. with other people around them which I think is the really different thing about America. Yeah, I'm embarrassed because it happened in front of people, right. but I wouldn't think that the people around me, my coworkers in the States are thinking less of me mm-hmm. because of that, that exchange. But I feel that's totally the way that it is in, in Thailand, that when you lose space, it's not just with that other person, it's with everybody else that's around you in that the situation. The ripple effect. Oh, you've massively hit on something there. That, and as you were saying that, I was also thinking the time of the effect seems to stay longer. Mm. Yeah. Like I feel like losing face in the West is maybe we just rebound too quickly and just chalk it up to a bad day or something weird or that was just a jerk. But it feels like the effect of losing face in Asia lasts longer. I don't know if it always goes back to some sort of mischievous revenge, but it feels like it's hard to reverse once it's done. Well, you know, from, from my reading, <laughs> no, you, no I, don't, I don't disagree. And, and I think from the readings I've done there and, and some other just digging around to understand this, you know, status is super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
at, at, a, at a level that it's really tough to understand mm-hmm. when you come from a, a land that, you know, we've all been promised the American dream, right? So status <laughs> to us is, is very, very different. But status means everything. Every single exchange mm-hmm. that you have with someone, mm-hmm. and, I, and I never grasped this unless I was trying to be funny intentionally, but I never fully understood the fact that the conversations that someone that I'm having at my condo, right? So the, the woman that worked behind the counter at my condo, when she and I are having a conversation, that's, that's one status level. When she's talking to the other person behind the counter, that's a different status level. But then when the, when their boss comes in, it's a totally different status level, which, which doesn't sound weird when, when you said, I mean, yeah, well, of course it makes sense that way, but mannerisms, deference, tone, everything is, is completely completely different. So yeah, I, I got a crash course in understanding how status works when I was there. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't want to say all of Asia is the same, but there's a lot of similarities in the places that I've lived in, in Asia and what you're saying right now. Right. You know, here's one of my favorite thing to do, which is a terrible thing. It shows you what a terrible person I am. So we know that Evo's not really a terrible person, but we'll listen to his funny cultural story in just a moment. What I did want to tell you is something that you can do to be a less terrible person yourself. <laughs> Are you ready? I would like you to share Expat Rewind with just one person. There are so many ways to share. I don't care how you do it. I just would like to have more bookish cultural moments about different countries and different cultures in you and your friends' earbuds. Now we are veering, as I mentioned before, to completely bookish episodes. Come July, we will just be focusing on expats and the books that they read in a specific country. We're going to have a new name at that point, a new format, and of course, new lovely guests. My homepage with all of my projects, stephuccio.weebly.com, or you can send them to the expatrewind.podbean.com website. Thank you so much for your help on this. We really look forward to the transition over to our 100% bookish selves coming soon. Thank you. Let's get back to Evo. But it's a kind of a it's kind of a little harmless joke, sort of. I, at least I think it's harmless. Uh, to me, to me, I kind of think it's funny. So in Thailand, like a lot of a lot of Asian countries, where there is bowing uh, mm-hmm. in Thailand. It's called the Y. We spell it W A I. And depending on where your hands go, like close to your chest, up to your chin, up to your nose, up to your you know, it all has to do with status. Right? But, but but that that's for the Thais. That's not for us. We just simply put both hands together. Not much bowing that goes. It's just literally just putting both your hands together in a prayer formation somewhere around your heart, right? So that's right. the why. However, however, back to status from that. In Thailand, it is always the person with lower status wise first, and then it's up to the other person, the one with higher status, whether or not they wish to why back or not. It's not rude. You know, be like skipping someone's high five, leaving them hanging. That'd be bad. But no, that's not. That's not a bad thing there. So one of my favorite, and again. I'm a terrible, terrible human. One of my favorite things to do is when I would go, when I like frustrated with my condo for whatever reason, because you get frustrated a lot, <laughs> a lot with, with various things. So if I was frustrated with them, when they would be on the phone as I'm walking by, they would look at me and I would why first. <laughs> and, and that just puts them in panic because then they're thinking, oh my God, did I forget to why to this? Why, why would I have to do that? Oh, it just puts them in. Sometimes a single hand goes up to their chest while they're fumbling with their phone out. It, again, I am a terrible human being, but it's really, really funny. <laughs> but did they actually bow every time you did that? 
Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Every single time I did it. Yeah. I mean, what, if they've got something in their hands, they would drop it and put their hands together because they missed it. I mean, they have to be first and they weren't first. So that means they did something wrong. It's again, oh, okay. that makes me a bad person, but I, it's kind of funny. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Did you do that the <laughs> well, whole time you were there or just at the beginning? Oh. Just to, oh no, the whole time I was there, but I didn't do it every single day, right? So I would, Perfect. but I, I I probably learned that once I learned about the status thing, probably probably six months in. Yeah, I I did, I did it accidentally once. I just did it accidentally. I was in a mm-hmm. I was in a restaurant and walked up to, or I was going into a restaurant and walked up to the uh, the server, you know, mm-hmm. not the server, the uh, the, the maitre d, if you will. You know, it was a Western mm-hmm. restaurant, yeah. and you know. I just, I said, cop and cop and did a, did a little Y thing there. And the guy had a menu in his hand and he dropped the menu. He oh. dropped the menu on the floor to quickly get his hands up there. And then, and like, and like a, almost prostrates himself, you know, walking me to the table with his head super bowed underneath mine and getting me to the table right away. Like I was some huge star that had done this. So yeah. So I learned right away, like, Oh, that's, that's terrible and funny at the same time. <laughs> what do you think is the equivalent the U.S. equivalent when foreigners come to the U.S. and there's something we do that they don't in general, like something that's very distinctly American that we do that they would find interesting to play with. Oh, I think it's probably the volume in which we speak, <laughs> I think, is is frightening to to a lot of of especially ties that come over mm-hmm. because they're all reserved. Mm-hmm. They all speak very quietly, which is really odd because if you go to a Thai supermarket mm-hmm. or you go to the mall and there's a sale going on, <laughs> they will have the volume turned up to 11 and the microphone shoved down someone's throat while they are screaming about this super great deal that is over here. And it's the most maddening thing. I mean, I walk through the grocery store with my fingers in my ears and I'm largely deaf and I still can't handle the massive amount of noise from those environments. Yeah. But that's, but that's a different thing, right? That's a promotion and that's how they pronounce it. They're a promotion and they love promotions. Uh, they love sales, man. They will get a crowd around them like it's, you know, snake oil salesman from 1874 in the wild, wild west, you know, shouting from the top. That's how they sell a lot of things there. Of course, we don't do that here, yeah. but we do. We are boisterous. We are loud. Yeah. Uh, when when we meet people, you know, we see some friends we haven't seen in a while. We'll, we'll scream and yell and hug and all that stuff. That's very very odd. Yeah, ties. Yeah, the one on one loudness definitely. Oh man, you hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> um, so tell me more about this book. Do you remember were there were there any pictures like illustrations in it or anything visual? Yeah, so there were two things that that struck me, and I don't think they were done very well. But again, this book was made 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 some time ago, so they did have photographs, black and white photographs, that they would use to try and and, and then they would draw word bubbles, mm-hmm. or what a word cloud. What I'm trying to say, you know, so that it would have the exchange between the Westerner and then what the Thai person would say. Mm-hmm. So the, the word the word cloud or word bubble, and then the thought cloud behind it, what the Thai person was actually thinking. Mm-hmm. And so that was good because you're reading this, this, this dense text that's talking about, you know, whatever it happens to be, but having that illustration, not an illustration, but again, a a picture with, with extra drawings on it really helped kind of drive the point home. And it, it made me sit back and reevaluate, you know, what, what are situations I've been into that are like this or Mm -hmm. what might I find myself getting into? Yeah. Uh, We're... Were the illustrations as accurate as the information that was in there? Or were any of them really stereotypically funny? Hmm. I think they were all pretty accurate. You know, the, they, they did 
it was written by a Westerner, and mm-hmm. I, I believe his Thai partner um, who'd, who'd been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, so he wrote the book, and so his representations of Westerners weren't caricaturized as, as it might have been, have been for a person who was from, from Thailand. Mm-hmm. So none of, none of the things against Westerners are very stereotypical. And, and honestly, I don't think I understood enough about the culture to find out if he was oversimplifying, and I likely was, oversimplifying what, it, what the Thai person was really thinking about and going through. Yeah. Um, but but I, the good news is, no, it didn't have any of those easy tropes that you might fall into. It, mm-hmm. it seemed pretty much, it's very much business focused. And so, yeah, it, it didn't go for the, for the, the easy jokes. Oh, good. I was going to ask you that. Was with so I'll just I'll just clarify this one. So it was mostly focused on yeah. Was it mostly focused on business relationships, or did it delve into personal relationships too? Everything was business focused, okay. and it would. The only time it got to personal was there was a section in there about you know after work things, which you know are pretty common where I'm from. You know, hey, it's Friday night. Let's go get a beer somewhere. You know, and I, and I will go to my staff. I, I ran a big agency here in the States before I, before I took off. Mm-hmm. And so I'd so go around and say, Hey guys, it's, it's Friday night. I'm, I'm going to go over to the, the, you know, beer place next door and grab a beer. You guys want to come? And I don't know, two or three would show up if I did that. But from this book, if I was to do that in Thailand, everyone would show up and feel compelled to stay until I said it was time to go. Right. Even though it's an after hours thing. Right. The boss said, we're getting a beer here, done, end of story. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that was the only interpersonal relationship, but it, it all came from the perspective of business. Yeah. it's business. So were there any other parts of the book that really stuck out or helped and helped you? I, th- I think all of those examples, you know, they were really good about, about detailing out the, what was really happening, how's the status of changing back and forth. Mm-hmm. And they did a nice job, I think, of doing a little bit of role playing uh, inside of the uh, the, the text itself, as well as those illustrations I've talked about before. Yeah. I mean, you, it, it's, while the book wasn't fantastically well-written, it is one of those things where you, you read it over the course of a week mm-hmm. and you're, you're able to see the things they're talking about almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when, when you, and even it, I didn't see a lot of it, but when my wife would get home in the evening after working at school all day, I would say, hey, this is the thing I just read about. She's, oh yeah, oh yeah, here, let me tell you exactly how that <laughs> happened. So it was spot on. There wasn't, there wasn't any bit of that towards that where it didn't actually work. So yeah, if you wind up going to Thailand for any time uh, and you want to work there, working with the Thais is a pretty amazing book. You weren't in the teaching English field, but you might've seen this book anyway, the experience preferred, but not required. Yep. I did see that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is, that is the niche version of what you're talking about, but for the Tefl industry in Thailand. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's very, very funny. But if you do, if you've never taught English in it, at least one or two different Asian countries, it, it won't make sense. It'll be like, this is goofy. This is, this can't be true. <laughs> but if you have, and oh my gosh, my husband and I have bought it. Like every time we go visit Thailand, we'll get a copy and end up give, gifting it to someone. Uh-huh. We read it and just go, this has to, this has to be shared with the world. Cause it's, so, <laughs> it's like stereotypes exist for a reason, but then you don't want to stereotype things, but then some things just fit really well. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think especially when you're in that situation where you're there teaching English, and of course everything I taught to my students, my students were all grown. Everything I taught was in English because, like any good American, I speak two languages: English and bad English. <laughs> so all of my classes were in English with these people, and right. these all these people had all spoken English. I mean, Thailand's had mandatory English training in public schools for twenty some odd years now. You know, so anybody under the age of twenty took 
English every single day for eight, 10 years of their college education, whether they retained it or not is a different story. But everybody coming to this, this school I was working at certainly had a, a command of the English language. But that's not true. I started doing some trainings where organizations, companies would send their entire team. Like there was one time I recall, it was a, a marketing and advertising agency mm-hmm. ran, ran by a French woman uh, in Bangkok. I won't name it, although it probably could narrow it down. Somebody really wanted to go do and figure it out. Anyhow, they sent their entire staff, nine people, mm-hmm. all of them. Hmm, no, not all of them, but half of them Thai, a few Filipinos, one per million. Um, anyhow, sent to, to this, to this training. And I don't, Oh, I know this was, I was supposed to train them in strategic, thinking strategically for digital agencies. So it was like, okay, great. Let's do this. So mm-hmm. met a few of the people, great command of the language, but there was just one, one woman in the back who was very quiet. And I realized after I think the third day of training that she did not have a great command of the English language. I think mm-hmm. she was kind of, you know, faking it more than anything going on there, mm-hmm. but would, would intently look at me, take notes in Thai so I couldn't read them, right? She's taking notes in Thai, look and nod her head up and down, but I had no idea what I was talking about. You know, asked, asked to regurgitate information, asked to, you know, can, can, you, can you, what do you think about this? Uh, nothing, nothing. Like I was speaking a totally, well, I guess I was speaking a foreign language to yeah. her. So I'm really curious what those notes were. Because I can read some Thai, but not anyone's Thai handwriting. Mm-hmm. I am really curious what she was writing down. I have no idea what this guy is saying. I just can't wait to get out of here, go to the bar. I don't know what the, what the notes were, but it certainly wasn't what I was talking about. But she faked it really, really well. Yeah, yeah. It could have been a grocery list, or she could have been writing a novel. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we won't. Okay, so if you were to rate yourself as how basically how bookish are you like 10 being total complete bookworm read every moment you get to zero of never read a book what's a book well clearly it's not zero then so we'll yeah. go from <laughs> one to ten <laughs> where would you put yourself on the scale in my life today probably a six and a half although i've been at a nine <laughs> and a half I, okay yeah, i'm gonna go six and a half yeah i gotta give half points right so um and and that's because well i read every single day i'm talking about a book I know that we, yeah, I read all the time. Yeah, email and Twitter doesn't mean anything. No, read a book. I read a book every single day. But right now, reading for me is a pure escape. And it is a reset of my brain so that maybe I can get more than three and a half, four hours of sleep at night because insomnia has really cropped up for me. So I, I have fiction. I always read fiction now. You know, people say, oh, I've got this great nonfiction books. I can't, I can't read it. They have got so much going on right now and everything else with my life that when I sit down to read, I need to read some, some fiction. And then I alternate between really in-depth, intricate plots with 20 characters going nuts to super popcorn level stuff, just depending on where my mind needs to go. I usually have two different books going at any time to, to see what's, what, uh, what my mind feels like any given evening. So did living o- overseas affect how much you read well what you read either one I think it had an impact on what I read mm-hmm. because I have a, a penchant for for fiction and, and I would I really started enjoying fiction about Thailand you know there was some there's some interesting mm-hmm. books that were written that are about Thailand and I wish I could think of the name of one. Oh man it's like Thailand in 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 2142 or something along those lines mm-hmm. that uh that, that was quite 
was quite good. You know, basically a domed city and everything's flooded out and whatever. Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm a I'm a big science fiction nerd, so that's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff I like to do. So I would try to read things that were not the standard American fare that yeah. I had been used to. You know, a little a little bit more worldly. You know, because it, it, it's always fun to to read a book about a place that now I have been to. Right. You know, nev- never having gone to Hong Kong before, you have zero understanding of what Hong Kong is right, until right. you're there, right? And you understand that that is like the most international cosmopolitan city on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so then when you read a book which features Hong Kong, it's like, aha, I get it. I understand this. Right. This is why they didn't set it in Los Angeles, which you right. think is very international, but it's so not, not, not compared to Hong Kong. <laughs> it's compartmentalized. Have you read The Three-Body Problem by any chance? Yes. I just finished the third book in it. No way. I haven't started it yet. My husband's in the middle of the first one and I'm, I've been meaning to start it for a while. Well, I hope you're ready. It is a, <laughs> it is a challenging read. It's wonderful. I really like it because again, I've read a lot of sci-fi, mm-hmm. but sci-fi from someone from China right. that doesn't really, the translations didn't really care to make everything Western friendly. Right. Was 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 great and bad at the same time. Because oh. when I when I read the first book, I, I had not traveled yet. I read that first book before I left. Okay. So twenty fourteen maybe is when I read. I think when it first came out. Yeah. But then I read the second book while I was still in in Thailand, and I read the third book when I when I came back. Okay. And really really good. First book is is great, but hard to get through. I think they got a better translator on book two, but it's kind of like book two of Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of walking. I guess is one way to just talk about it. You know, it's a sophomore effort. But the third book, they got an amazing translator this time around who really nailed everything. And I think that the author had really fine-tuned his um, overall skill and uh, in, in, in ability to write because it's, it's just, I didn't want to put it down. Wow. Every single chapter is really, really good. So yeah, so power through the first. Just take deep breaths and make it through the second because the third <laughs> is an amazing payoff. Oh my gosh, that sounds really worth it. It's it's good that it's in that order and not the reverse because I hate it when I start a book or movie or even TV series and it gets so much worse over time. Right, right. We've all experienced that, but nope, definitely not this one. There's a little weird sophomore slump in the middle, but that third book is such a payoff, such a payoff. Awesome. Yay. Oh, sorry for the listeners. Is it set in China? Because I know it's a Chinese author. Yes, but... It doesn't matter after a while. So it's set in China. It's set in outer space. It's set all over the world. But yeah, the first book is largely set in China. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Maybe all set in China. Yeah. So, okay. So when you read, are you a paper person, a Kindle person, an on-screen computer person? How do you read? Kindle all the way. Kindle, Kindle all the way. Yeah. Um, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, but but yeah. that's, you know, I can't, I can't listen to an audiobook in bed. I'll be asleep in 10 minutes. Uh, it just it just knocks me out, and I have to be doing. It's like with like listening to podcasts. I I can't sit in a chair. Well, that's what and you listen to podcasts or read book. Start listening to you would. Audio yeah, it. But here's the great thing: it does puts me to sleep, and then I'm awake again in 20 minutes. So okay. that's not very helpful. So okay, yeah, yeah. never mind. <laughs> it puts me out, but then I wake up right away. Yeah, I don't I don't fall I don't stay asleep. I have a problem. <laughs> so I haven't had a Kindle for a really long time. Can you highlight certain passages in there now? Yes. Yeah. They've, they've, and you can even share right from your device if it's connected mm-hmm. to the internet. So you can highlight a passage and hit share. And I think it's connected to, you know, the, the standard social uh, connections, mm-hmm. or you can just simply highlight it and save it uh, on your own. Are, are, are you a big highlighter of books? I have some eye issues. So I move from straight uh, paper books to audiobooks, or mm-hmm. if I have to read 
if it's, if it's not available in audiobook form, I have to read the paper form because the screen too long uh, doesn't do well with my mm. high issues. So okay. when I have the paper book, I absolutely massacre it. It's pretty blasphemous. I write all over it. I write questions. I highlight. I turn pages over. I Wow. I tear I tear pages out sometimes. Goodness. Yeah, I'm I I'm pretty intimate with the damn book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good to know um, it. I, which means I can never pass books on because there's too much in them <laughs> for like my soul. <laughs> Every everything's <laughs> annotated, but only annotated for you. For me, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And including grocery lists and different things. It's not just okay. about the book. It'll remind me of lots of different things. So yeah, it's impossible for me to pass books on. Right. And, and I'm the exact opposite. When I was in college, I know, 100 years ago, <laughs> the standard thing is, you know, you go buy used books when you can. Mm-hmm. But it didn't take me but a semester to realize I can't buy used books. Because for something wrong with my brain, when something is highlighted, like I'm talking about the standard yellow highlighter or pink or whatever the colors are for the, for the highlighter tools, my brain skips them. I skip chapter names. Mm-hmm. I skip chapter headings. I skip, you know, H1s and H2s on websites, you know, all of that stuff. I, I, my brain automatically goes down to the, the text itself. Normal font is all at work. So, so I never, if I, don't make, if I want to make a note about something, I will go take out a notepad or I'll fire up some other app and take a note. But I, mm-hmm. I physically can't do it inside of a book just because of the way that my brain works. Right, right, right. Oh, wow. No, I'm the opposite. I'll like remember what part of the page a certain section's on. If I have uh, manipulated it or highlighted it, written on it, circled it, anything, I'll remember what, what, I won't remember what page. And sometimes I won't remember what book, but I'll remember the section of the page. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty good with recall like that too for for the nonfiction books that I read. I mean, I can see where it is. I can probably even pull out a page number so that if I have it on the shelf, I can quickly flip back to it. Um, mm. but, but but I don't. I highlighting would throw that whole thing off for me. Too funny. Were you a book person as a kid too? Did you go to the library lounge? Huge book person. Yeah. yeah. My 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 mom was uh, was and is uh, awesome, and she had me reading at three. Wow. So yeah, I was I was an voracious reader. Mom read all the time. Yeah. My my grandmother read nonstop. Um, we, we always had books, uh, with us on, I carried paperbacks with me to school reading, you know, far above grade level all the way through into college even was still just devouring books. And I was that weird guy who for probably for the first, probably from high school on until my early Mm thirties, I would go through a novel a week. I actually, I actually decided one time I I worked about 15 minutes away from my office, Mm -hmm. but if I took the bus, it was a 45 minute drive. <laughs> so I took the bus so I could read. It gave me 45 minutes. That's an hour and a half of uninterrupted reading that I could do every single day. So I would just plow through books. I had book, I used to have bookshelves yeah. and I would keep all those books and they were nonstop. When I started podcasting, I was on a book focused show. We were interviewing authors. And so we would get anywhere from eight to 80 books every single week would show up at our studio from authors and publishing houses that wanted us to interview their people. So I was, I was, I've not been without anything to read as long as I can remember. Wow. What was the name of that podcast? And is it still out there? Uh, no, it's not. It was called the dragon page. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we started it and started in 2002 before podcasting. It was an internet radio show we were doing back in 2002. And then in October, 2004, we turned it into a podcast. It was the 40th podcast ever. 
Wow. Which was, which was pretty, pretty incredible. That's super, super cool. Let's go back to working with the ties. If you could ask the author of that book any question, what would it be? I think I would want to know, especially of those examples that he would mm. give, how much of those examples, how many of those examples mm. was true versus manipulated based on what has been learned? Because I have that feeling mm-hmm. that a lot of the this one time stories that you hear in those places and these other situations are a little bit contrived. Mm-hmm. Some felt that way, but again, it was such a different environment that I wasn't, I wasn't confident in saying, oh yeah, that's totally made up. But I would love to find out, you know, there were certain parts where I'm going, this exchange, and I can't remember specifics of those exchanges right now, but this exchange seemed awfully weird. Did it really happen or not? Do you think you could have written examples for most of the things in there by the time you left? Could you have written your own version of that? A a smaller version, because two and a half years in Thailand is not nearly enough time to really be uh, absorbing the culture completely. There were still so many things that that came off as alien to me. I could have probably done an updated version of it to deal with more of of the digital world that that, that we live in and how exchanges with people via email. The book doesn't talk about that at all. Because there was an email when this book was written. So how to communicate with ties that you work with over email, which is quite different. I'm of the the family of emailers that is typically pretty short and to the point with things, but you can't do that in Thailand. I imagine there could be a section on uh, social media too, like Line's pretty popular there, right? Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody got a line account. So yeah, exactly. How, how does that, and that's a totally different world that we don't really understand. It's, it's not an addiction. It's simply the way that communications happen and the way people communicate online is different than people communicate on, on Instagram or on whatever else it happens to be. It's just, it's just a different, different world. Well, it sounds like a, a reference book. So I have to ask you, did you yeah. read it front to back or did you skip around chapters? Read it front to back over the course of about a week, but then would refresh myself using it as a reference book. I would mm-hmm. refresh myself going back. I probably skipped maybe a chapter or two that, you know, that, that didn't apply to me if I think back on it, but mostly, but, but that's also the way that I like to read. I mean, I, the first time I bought a For Dummies book, I read it cover to cover. Wow. That's beca- well, that's because I was writing a For Dummies book and I was afraid I was going to ah. do it poorly. <laughs> So I went and bought it and I read it cover to cover, which I realized that no one, no one ever does now, but it was very instrumental to helping me learn to write in the, in the dummies way. Which dummies book did you write? Podcasting for dummies, of course. Of course you did. And then they also had me write, oh my God, they, after that, they said that book sold so well, we want to do a follow-up. We'd like to do a book called Expert Podcasting Practices for Dummies which is Wait. arguably the worst book title ever. Ex- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Expert dummies. Nobody wants that. So, okay, I will write that book, but you have to double my advance. And they did. And it has never come close to paying back. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Cause it doesn't, that's just, yeah. Just dumb idea. Dumb idea. <clears throat> but I'm happy to take your money. Thank you. <laughs> so the person that you gave it to, had they given you any feedback on it? No, I have not. I've not chatted with them. I think since we left, it was someone that my that my wife worked with, a mm-hmm. young guy, twenty four, twenty five, I think, mm-hmm. from America, who was working at the relatively new to the school, and it was his first his first overseas placement, mm-hmm. and had been having some uh, struggles, not necessarily with ties that he worked with, mm-hmm. but those he was dating. 
Um, so I said, this would probably help. I mean, there's nothing specifically about dating in here, yeah. but it does talk about that, that dynamic uh, yeah. of how re- of professional relationships work. So maybe that would help you with this. So I don't know if you okay. understand it or not. This is it. This is the first version, the first bookish version of Expat Rewind. Oh, yeah. I'm it's so really, excited that you were just, the first person for this. So wow. Every interview I do, I do ask people what questions are missing. Since this is the first round, I want to do a little disclaimer. And I'm sure there's a ton missing already because it's the first way through. If you were to join me for the next interview with a different expat in a different book, what mm-hmm. question would you ask them that I haven't asked you? I think... Uh, if if they're like me, and if they've since returned, they've been repatriated. Mm, yeah. I like to call, I like to almost have an ex expat because repatriated. <laughs> no one knows what that means. Um, yeah. If if that's the case, you know, how has the book and the experience they had over there in that other particular country, those countries, mm-hmm. how has that changed them now? What what did they what lessons did they find from that that are still applicable? In their, in their new, or maybe even just a brand new country, right? Because a lot of expats just bounce around from spot right. to spot to spot. So right. you're right, you read this great book about working with the Thais. How did it impact you when you wound up in South Africa, mm-hmm. which is a totally different culture for, for right. four years? We're doing the lessons that you learned over there along the way. That might be kind of cool. That would be very cool. I'm going to add that for sure. So you know what you need to do now answer mm. your own question. <laughs> Yeah, it it certainly has. I'm not sure it was necessarily from the book as much as it was just from being there. But since the two things happened together, I really can't, I can't separate them. I definitely deal with people differently. And the one thing that I do now, and the book harps on this a lot, is that idea about status. Is I really, in the back of my mind, because I'm always processing, what's the status relationship of this relationship I'm in mm-hmm. right now. Do I have more status or less status? And it's not an ego thing. It is not an ego thing. It's not a way, okay, how can, how can I get more status? No, 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 no. That's not it. It's where am I? What, is, what role do I have to play? And I then respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that because I basically moved to Asia in my was it mid, early, early 30s. And I've been ping-ponging back and forth, but more time in Asia than in the U.S. or in the West in general. As I get older, or because I've moved to Asia, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm more aware of status than any other point in my life. And I do tend to do what you were just describing, where I'll be like, not to try to up someone, but try to understand the relationship that's happening, similar to what you said. And I can't tease it out because I, I grew, I adult grew up in Asia. So I, I'm like, mm. okay, that happened because I just grew up. And that just happens be, when people grow up, they start understanding the connections in the relationships around them. Or is that because I'm in a place that has a, a really, really clear status impact on everything you do? Yeah. And then, and how do, how do you take that forward into the next time that you're, when you're somewhere else? Right. But I, I think it just, I think it makes us more aware. I, I am not the most empathetic person on the planet. Um, that's just me by nature, but I think I'm better uh, than I than I was if if only because I'm now doing that quick evaluation of okay where where do things stand so I'm I'm probably less in your face uh, than I used to be. Yeah, that must probably drive people crazy because I know I was like that too, and it's been, and even more so as a woman coming into Northeast Asia, oh, they were not really anticipating that from me. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're, we're just like you're not tim- not that all Asian women are timid. I don't want to perpetuate that. Sure. very, very false one. But I was very, very matter of fact, let's make a list. What's wrong? What's happening right now? Tell me, tell me what's wrong. Tell me what your feelings are. Let's work through this. And they're just like, what is happening right now? Yeah. 
Yeah, wrong, wrong way to go. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that that challenge. And I would talk to them directly and you don't talk to people directly about issues. You go through superiors and there's all this other yep. stuff. That, and I thought, oh, that's so, that's so backstabbing and it's so wrong. And I was just so naive. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing that really threw me today was, you know, in, in the West, or at least in America, you know, the idea is, you know, you, you give, you give a very direct conversation with someone, a subordinate yep. that isn't, isn't performing well. And then after that, after that, then you finally praise them. So you, you yell at them, if you will, and then you praise them for the good stuff they did, right? So you, you give them the beating, and then you kind of pat them on the head, yeah. right? So that's pretty standard. Exact opposite in Thailand. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is exact opposite. It is all about how great and wonderful everything's done. But, but just, if it's one minor thing, you know, maybe you could, you know, start coming to work on time. You know, yeah. a little minor thing like that, you know, which is not a minor thing at all. My God, get on time. It's super simple, but yeah, you just got to flip it on its head. <laughs> oh my God, that's really, really true. Even with correcting writing, there's like this sandwich uh-huh. thing where, you know, you say something nice, you critique something, then you say something nice again. And my foreign students in my writing, uh, like second language writing class were just like, what is all this niceness? Can you just write, can you just red pen it? Can you just right. make all my mistakes so I can change them? And I'm like, but you need to know what you're doing right too. So you mm. keep doing those things. So you don't think mm. those need to change. And it just it was a little bit of a back and forth. And they're just like, no, I don't need the niceness. I'm like, I can't not do it. <laughs> it's not happening. Right, right. I will change culturally, but I'm not taking out the nice parts. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, well, yeah. Where can our listeners find you? Sure. You can find me pretty much everywhere. The great thing about being named Evo Terra is uh, if you search for me, you will find me. Uh, if, if you are interested in podcasting, I do a four times a week, almost a daily show. Every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I do a little less than 10-minute show called Podcast Pontifications, where I talk about the future of podcasting. That's a podcast, pontifications.com. And I'm all over the internets with the social stuff. So, you know, Twitter, that's a good place for me. I've been you can follow my face on Instagram if you want, Evo <laughs> underbar Tara for there. But yeah, I'm kind of everywhere. Awesome. I love your podcast, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I don't listen to a lot of short podcasts. It's like you and Nutrition Diva are my two short podcasts. And I <laughs> absolutely love yours. I love hers too. Yeah, every day, four times a week. I'm just totally addicted to listening to them because they're just, they're so concise. Do you take a lot of notes and outline it before you do it? <laughs> You don't. You're laughing. You must not. <laughs> uh, oh, oftentimes, no. Occasionally, I will. Uh, occasionally, but I'm I'm usually pretty good about revealing. Like, like I'll pull up by the camera because you know, as you know, I don't. know, Do you watch it or do you just listen to it? Oh, do you do it live? I well, I record it live on Facebook right now, but only because if I, I if I just talk to a blank wall, I'm not doing a good job. So having the camera on me helps. Yep, so and, and and a handful will watch it, right? So if I if I do fess up, if if, if I have actually done, if I made an outline or I've made some notes, I will say on the show, hey, I made some notes about this, yeah. so I get it all right. I'm not sure if I remember if that, that gets cut before I put it live, anyhow. But yeah, typically no. Typically there's there's not a lot. I mean, a lot of planning. But it's drawn off of my 15 years of experience in podcasting and 30 years of doing business operations is really where I draw that from. Yeah, if, if anything, like a, occasionally I'll write a note or two, but, uh, but yeah, not a, not a lot of super detailed outline for that show. So do you do it live off of the Evo Terra one or do you have a special account on uh, it? It's from my Simpler Media uh, Facebook page. There it is. Okay. Yeah, that's where it goes. Yeah, that's where you'll see that. So you no, can see all the old videos. Podcast Attic, that's but... fine. Most people, most people listen to it as well. And as soon as uh, LinkedIn Live mm-hmm. is finally released everywhere, I'm going to switch. Uh, oh, yeah. To that as, a, as opposed to Facebook. Those it's, are it's, it's 10-minute videos, focused. right? Is that the time? Yeah, 10-minute videos. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. That's really interesting. That, that's yeah. changing so much. 
Anyway, well, man, oh, man, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really fun. Stephanie, you are very welcome. Thanks for inviting me and enjoy your your continued time in, in Beijing. When I was there this time last year, um, I believe it snowed on us. I'm actually we, in Shanghai. Oh, you're in Shanghai. I'm sorry. It, I thought you were in Beijing. two years in a row here, which is very strange. Wow. That yeah. is very strange. It is yeah, very it was, strange. I mean, it doesn't stay long either, but it, uh, it did happen two years in a row. You know, for us, we had just left Bangkok mm-hmm. and shipped all of our stuff back to America, moving back to Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, April. And so we <laughs> thought, well, we'll just we'll take a light jacket with us into Beijing, and it snowed. Yeah. It was miserable cold the entire time we were in China <laughs> and South Korea. Finally warmed up when we got to Japan, uh, and then, uh, yeah. yeah, but anyhow. The weather is not the reason to come to most places in China, except for yeah, the South, but then you're, it's terribly humid. Yeah. It's then it's hot and muggy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although it did snow. I lived in Tucson, Arizona for grad school and it snowed one of the years we were there. Yeah. We had a lot of snow in, in Tucson this year. So yeah, they, we've had, we've had a crazy yeah. way. I, I just flew, when I flew back from Orlando last week, we flew over Tucson, yeah. what is that, Mount, Mount Lemon, and yeah. uh, you could probably ski. There was so what? much snow on it still. And that's oh. been a week since it snowed. Although we just, we just got another uh, storm that came through today. So who knows? It might be, it might be snowing somewhere else. Wow. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Thank you so much. And I hope you feel better soon. Oh, as do I. Uh, <laughs> thanks for chatting with me. You know, it, it, it's fun to not focus on my misery and talk about something else. So I, I appreciate you taking my mind off of it. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Expat Rewind. And while I'm doling out the thank yous, I need to do a couple of more of these. Thank you very much to Evo Terra for volunteering to come on the Expat Rewind podcast. If you take a look at his information, his website, etc., you know how busy Evo is. And I just am forever grateful for people who have a lot to do and choose to do stuff like this podcast also. Thank you, Evo. Last but certainly not least, the music for this podcast is courtesy of Damon Castillo. Damon is a fantastic musician based in San Luis Obispo, California in the U.S. That is the place where I went to university and I used to go see his live concerts all the time and he has been generous to donate the Mess of Me album for all three of my podcasts. So thank you, Damon. You can find the rest of his music, including his newer albums, at damoncastillo.com. So with each book, we're getting closer and closer to switching over officially to bookish expats which starts officially officially in july with all kinds of new changes surprises and whatnot if you'd like to be a guest on that new version of expat rewind called bookish expats please do contact me any way you so wish thank you very much more soon